Welcome to the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast, part of the Thrive Podcast family. This is a place to focus on helping pastors and leaders discover or rediscover their purpose, passion, and vision. Ray Johnston is the founding pastor of the Bayside Family of Churches. He's the architect of all the Global Thrive Conferences. He is also an award-winning author and a widely sought-after speaker, mentor, and leadership authority. Each episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast is a conversation between Ray and his hand-picked, world-renowned guests as they share timeless principles, timely insight, and new ideas on how to grow as a leader wherever you're planning. Today, it's part two of a three-episode Zoom series on hope with Ray and a couple pastors from other Bayside Church campuses. So let's get right into this episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. today by some of Bayside's best. You would have seen some of us on the Thrive Conference. Ray Johnson, how are you doing? And tell us where you are. Hey, I'm doing fine, Andrew. I'll tell you that in a second. Well, first of all, I'm uh, down in the Monterey Peninsula with Convoy of Hope. I love this organization. They came in and a whole bunch of us gathered last night and raised a little over $2 million, which basically means you can feed another 2.2 million people so far. And it's going up from there. So pretty cool stuff going on. So and it also involves some golf, which is awesome. That's always a good thing for you, Ray. That's part of you. What's one of your ministry gifts? <laughs> <laughs> I have no golfing gifts, but it fits under ministry. I'm okay. Great. Hey, we're also joined by uh, CJ Alvarado. Hey, CJ, you want to give us an update exactly what we're trying to do today? What's going on in our world? Yeah, well, there's a lot going on today in this uh, webinar. I mean, obviously, last weekend, for those who joined us, they know how much content we still have left to cover. It was just a, a webinar packed with information. And now we've got part two, most likely going to be a part three, Ray, You can comment on that. I also wanted to let people know uh, last week, we got a lot of questions. How do we watch content from the Thrive Summit? I didn't get to see it all. I'm really bummed. I've got people that want to watch it. And the good news is you can watch it on demand right now. We have made all of that content available from our main sessions to all the breakouts available to you and your teams for absolutely free. So just go to the Thrive Conference org website and uh, you'll find all our webinar info there you'll find all the thrive summit content there absolutely free so uh, so go for it <laughs> yeah great thank you cj and we've all we're also got our very own kurt harlow it looks like you're down in the french riviera there kurt you know on that <laughs> i don't know where you are but it's looking good and you're looking good thank you my brother greetings everyone and the second the mic got turned on me my neighbor's dog started barking. So, <laughs> hey man, it's part of life it's, with COVID. So man. We're, we're going to leave all barking dogs in this webinar. Um, and the and so to kick this off, last week we basically went. I wrote this book, okay, the Hope Quotient, and um, my theory all along has been that your HQ, your level of hope is more important than your IQ, which is good news for some of us. And it's also more important than your EQ. Okay? There are a lot of very intelligent people that are not doing well in life. Neither is their church, neither is their company, neither is their family. Um, when somebody's level of hope rises 
everything follows that. When somebody's level of discouragement goes down, everything follows that. In other words, what happens on the inside comes out on the outside. And, um, and so I actually went, you know, people, uh, I'm, I'm down here with a whole bunch of pastors. Kurt, you have been with a bunch of pastors this week. We just had a conversation where we're at, the same thing is happening worldwide, Kurt. Yeah, we had uh, about 20 different pastors from around the nation at an event. And uh, every single night at the dinner table, it was COVID disruption, digital uh, matrix. What, what, what are we really counting here? And, of course, all of the racial tension and cultural chaos we're going. And I left that event a little bit encouraged that everyone was going through the exact difficult things that we're going through here at Bayside and a little bit discouraged because there is a low level of hope in spiritual leaders uh, right now. We're off the map. And uh, one of the big words that's out there, right, is this word disruptive. I know we're supposed to talk about momentum this week, but um, we kind of made a shift in that and, and to keep going on this topic of hope because this really is kind of at the epidemic uh, level. That's right. And what, um, and we were talking, we were talking just for a couple minutes before this call, just checking in. And what we realize is every pastor in America right now, every single one of these folks is feeling shot at. I'm with a hundred pastors, a little over that actually. Every single person I asked who I said, how you doing? They all head went to the ground and they were like, uh, they were like COVID blew our church up. Restarting was harder than clo- than shutting down, and I got attacked by all sides for restarting or for not restarting, and so I got hammered for both sides. And then our country blew up with issues of race and injustice, and and then everybody is being attacked by that. And at least, and so those of you watching, going, it must be nice to be at Bayside where they have no problems. <laughs> I mean, we have division problems over issues. We have a multicultural ministry where people. People post something and it blows up something else um, that causes some people to go, well, I'm not going to give anymore. I mean, we have every problem, every business and ministry has on the planet right now. Uh, wouldn't you all, wouldn't you guys agree? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. It, it ain't Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Which means this whole thing is way more important. So instead of doing one week on hope, we're doing a three week series on hope because right now I think it's the most flaming inner need of every leader I'm meeting with. They're going, if I can somehow get a grip on hope during this time, because pretty much let's admit it, everything's disrupted or the way I'd put it is this, everything's screwed up, everything, okay? Church finances, restarting, uh, numbers online, unity, all of this, everything's disrupted, everything's screwed up. The question is, what do you do about it, okay? In other words, how do you lead well? How do you live well? How do you love well? How do you lead your family? How do you lead your church? How do you lead people when they're in polar? opposite positions politically and when you're mismatched politically mismatched culturally and and you have people shooting at you for the first time okay how do you lead during those times and really on this one step one is i basically have got to find a solid foundation of hope so as my church goes up and down i don't go down with it okay and so what happened is this last week we have there are 10 things that if you were a leader, they have to get built into your life. 
Okay. Last week we covered a three of the 10 this week, we're going to cover three or four or more. Last week we talked about basically the questions leaders have to ask. And here it is. Number one is, am I living with rising levels of hope? That was the first question. Second question was, are my batteries recharged? Because nothing, nothing works when it's on empty, nothing. Okay. And the third one is this, um, do I have enough support? There is a balance between challenges and support. And as challenges rise, support needs to rise. And, um, and if, if you miss that, all you got to do is go to my, uh, go to my podcast, which is the Ray Johnson leadership podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to, to podcasts. That's right. And so if you go to that, you can get the whole hour from last week. This week, we're going to go into um, we're going to go into uh, three or four more questions that leaders have to ask. And the first one is this. Um, are my expectations raised? And um, McCourt, we talk a lot. You actually talk a lot about Steve Jobs from Bayside Experience. Oh, yeah. It's one of the things that I've learned at Bayside, the 10 things that I've tried to put together of the characters and the sort of culture of Bayside. And Ray has this saying sometimes he doesn't use it all the time, but he throws it in like a like a silent grenade at moments. And he'll say this, you know, um, Steve Jobs would have got it done. And basically what Ray's trying to say at that moment is that, hey, the team has come back from trying to do a project. We weren't able to execute it. And um, Ray will go, well, Steve Jobs would have got it done. Ray, talk to us about the impact that Steve Jobs has had on your leadership life and levels of hope. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, When I read the biography on Steve Jobs written with his permission. It was at that point, the best leadership book I'd read in about 10 years. And the reason was this, the first half of the book was pretty much, to be honest with you, Steve kind of looking like a relational jerk. The second half of the book, he looks the same way. However, in the second half of that book, he becomes one of the best leaders in any business in history. And the thing that was so challenging to me about that book was this, Steve Jobs He just, his expectations were high. I mean, his expectations were off the charts. And what I realized from Steve Jobs was he actually believed impossible things were possible. And because he believed that impossible, like he would walk in and say, hey, I'd like to build an entire computer, which took up a room in a box. Okay. And his, his, his engineers said it was possible. Everybody said it was possible. He just kept beating them up, going, get it done, get it done, get it done. And they got it done. Um, he talked one time about, I actually heard him say, he talked one time about going to a car show. And he said, you, you ever been to a car show? He goes, you see these model, these dream cars at the car show that that's sort of a concept car. And you're going, man, that rocks. Then he said, you see it five years later and you go, that sucks. And he goes, what happened? Okay. He said, how did they snatch defeat from the jaws of victory? And he said, what, what happened is, he said, the engineers said, we can't do that. And the finance people said, we can't afford it. And all these other people said, it can't work. And by the time it is done being beat up by negative people, nobody wants what they come out with. Okay. And so what I realized is this, somebody's expectations are the ceiling on their ministry. Um, like, like, for example, COVID right now. This is massive, okay, because COVID has shut our church down, and I was talking to a pastor last night, and he's afraid his church is never coming back, 
Okay, people will not return. They will not come back. He does have an online church, but he's afraid in terms of what exists. He's afraid of that. And what I realized is this: this guy's church is in trouble, not because of his people, not because of COVID. His church is in trouble because his expectations are so low. His expectations are going to drive the results down to his level of expectations. Okay. Um, I'll give you an example. Convoy of Hope started with high expectations, okay? And they went, can we feed 2 million people? But they blew by that. They raised their expectations. Their current expectation is, could we raise enough money to deliver 30 million meals? 30 million, okay? And I can't tell you what they told us last night because it was in confidence, but when they released that number, 30 million was a off-the-chart, sky-high expectation for them. And what happened is this. Uh, well, did they surpass that? You'll find out tomorrow. But high expectations lead to rising levels of everything. Your expectations go up. Your hope level goes up. Your encouragement level goes up. Your psychological health goes up. Your ministry goes up. Everything gets better only when expectations rise. Okay. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to unpack. For those of you going, man, I have been down. I have been feeling down. And my expectations are down. Okay. Um, giving drops. My expectations are it's going to keep dropping um, until I, instead of how do I flip it to where it goes to new levels? Okay. Um, I want to give you four traits that have to be developed in you and me if my expectations are going to be rising. Okay. And here they are. Number one is this expectation. Number one is this. I have got to believe impossible things are possible. I have got to believe impossible things are possible. Um, even when prior, and by the way, if you're taking notes on this and anywhere, um, write this down. Your vision for the future cannot be prior circumstances or current circumstances. It has to be future dreams, okay? Most people set their expectations on prior circumstances or current conditions, okay? Um, it is way better to wipe those out and take a long, high look at what could occur. Nehemiah did that after 92 years of prior circumstances, convincing everybody a wall was impossible. He walks in and says it's looked impossible for 92 years, and fit one guy, one guy, with higher expectations arrive, wham, the wall's built, and it literally, literally gets built, okay? Um, I'll give you an example of that. The other thing is, if you wanna write this down, here it is, it's an across TWNC. And these are the most depressing, debilitating words you will ever say to yourself. And here it is, things will never change. Those four words, things will never change, they replace confidence with cynicism. When I say to myself, things will never change, it replaces high hopes with depression and despair. When I say to myself, um, things will never change, it blinds people to the possibilities that God, in fact, could have better days ahead. And those four words, things will never change, are so powerful, they can actually, in my opinion, handcuff the hands of God. Jesus, in Matthew 13, couldn't do any miracles in his hometown of Nazareth. Why? Because of their unbelief, and their unbelief was things here will never change. It is a massive, massive, destructive thing. And that happened to me yesterday. I mean, you get an offer and report or whatever, and I go, things will never change. And I go right down with it. Okay. Trait number one is I've got to believe impossible things are 
possible, which means I have got to fight off cynical people, including myself, knowing things will never change. The second trait that needs to get developed is I've got to believe that God has better days ahead, no matter what it looks like. I've got to believe that God has better days ahead. Okay, That's faith. Everybody's going, what is faith? One of the things faith is, faith is actually a force. Faith is a force. And when you target something with that faith, as you can take it and turn it at different situations, okay? Um, for example, Andrew or Kurt, either one of you, we have had what, and almost all pastors say this, everybody's going, Our, we've had the year from hell. I mean, it feels like Satan is all out attack on America. It has happened with unity in our country. It's happened with racially. It's happened with race. It has happened with COVID. It has happened with churches. And you know what's weirdest? What's our church's verse of the year we pick in January? It's, it's Roman 8, 28. Uh, for we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And when we chose that back in the end of 2019, little did we know that that really that verse would be imprinted in our hearts and in our minds. And we just had to live it out. Again, Ray, I think one of the best examples is, is what we experienced with our Thrive Conference. I mean, when everything started canceling, COVID was shutting everything down and then we had to shut down our two conferences it hit our faith it really and it hit our hope levels and then we started having this discussion about what if we turned our faith and said could this actually be produced online and god did something at that moment that surpassed all our expectations that's right yeah oh yeah do you have current numbers of how many people have actually seen some or all of that yeah, about half a million people and growing. Yeah. And I was depressed that we couldn't host 6,000 people. Okay. And somehow, fa people, faith is a force. And at least around Bayside, we are having to go back to Romans 8, 28. And go, that is our verse of the year. Last time I checked, it's still in the Bible. Okay. I'm checking every day, by the way. Number th the third trait that has to be developed if somebody's going to higher expectations is this. They've, I've got to learn to replace fear with faith. I've got to learn to replace fear with faith. I had a transforming experience about five years ago. I was preparing a message on David versus Goliath. Okay, And what I realized is this. Everybody that's preached that, in my opinion, has gotten it wrong. It is not David versus Goliath. The real question that passage is, why is David on the field and the entire army of Israel hiding in their tent shaking with fear? Okay. It's really David versus everybody that's filled with fear. And what I realized is this, only one guy moved from faith to fear. And what I realized is this, okay? And I drew up this little thing where I went, um, focus, okay? What I focus on determines my emotional condition, okay? And I actually wrote the word fear and I wrote the word faith. And then I realized this, Fear, the path down to fear is this. I'm afraid or discouraged when I'm focused on my problems, so I expect only defeat. And so when I focus on my problems, I expect defeat. I actually wrote this on a card and put it on the mirror um, in my bathroom. I wrote focus, okay? Problems, expect defeat. Or, and I went, that was the entire army. The entire army was looking at Goliath going, that guy is just too big. 
one guy is looking at him going, that guy's too big to miss, and that's David. And the difference between David and everybody else is they had the same circumstances. David was focused on God, so he expected God's help and expected a miracle. Okay, And I literally, every time I get really discouraged, all I do is I take, I now I've taken that card off. It was up for about six months. And I just, I go back and I preach myself that. I say, Ray, you're discouraged, not because of the offerings, not because of the division. You're discouraged because you are, you are focused only on problems and you are expecting defeat. You know better than this. Focus on God. Expect God's going to do a miracle, which he does. And by the way, that happened, like that literally happened with the Thrive Summit. The question is, can it happen again in every area of our lives? Okay. And the answer to that is, I have no clue, but we'll stay at it. Mother, if you don't think this is important, this thing is huge. Okay. Um, replacing fear with faith and taking faith, it's a force and you, you can use it. Okay. And so, one more time, I want to say to everybody listening to this if you focus on your problems, you will expect defeat. That will lead to you hiding in a tent, shaking with fear. You will be miserable and so will your circumstances and nothing will ever get better. This one is huge. Focus on God, anticipate God's help then you can go spring into action, okay? And the last word in this area is this. If I'm going to become a person with raised expectations, I've got to focus on what if instead of why not, okay? I've got to focus on what if, what if this could happen? What if this could happen? What if this could Instead of having a whole bunch of reasons why this is impossible. Um, and by the way, the world is full of why not Christians right now. I talk to more people going, people are never going to show up at your church again. Okay? People could be asking the question, what if we kept all of our online ministries and blew our auditorium ministries when it's possible to highest levels ever. Okay. What if the two of those things are like looking live wires together instead of believing both are going to tank. Okay. Um, let me give you some examples of why not people. The um, lead to forest inventor of the Cathay Ray tube said this while theoretically and technically television may be feasible commercially and financially television is a development we need waste little time dreaming it's an impossibility okay that was said about the tv okay there's still in people's office okay here's another one from ibm i think there's a world market for maybe five computers that was ibm in 1943 here's another one okay uh marshall ferdinand folks said this airplanes are interesting toys but they have no military value Here's another one. With over 50 foreign cars already on sale here, the Japanese auto industry isn't likely to carve out a big slice of the U.S. market. The, here's, even the dog woke up on that one. With over, Here's another one. Stocks, this was in 1929. Stocks have reached what looks like a permanently high plateau. Okay, And my favorite one is this. In 1962, um, a recording company... Experts said this, we don't think the Beatles will do anything in their market. Guitar groups are on their way out. Uh, the world is full of people that are going, there's impossible things can't happen. Um, if, if I'm a leader, I, fourth characteristic people have of us, they have, fought, they have raised expectations. And to create those raised expectations, they believe impossible things are possible. They believe God has better days in, replace fear with faith. And they stop asking the question of why this won't happen. And they start going, what if this happened? And they begin to dream. That stuff is huge and actually life-changing.
This whole question of being future focused is a huge question. In, in the real world, how do you actually cultivate that in yourself? Okay, well, Kurt, you've worked for the denominational headquarters. And Andrew, you've been in ministry. Are most religious organizations future or past focused? Oh, massively past focused. They're trying to protect the values of the past and the good old days and get us back to the good old days. That's usually. And then a lot of denominational leaders spend a lot of time managing, uh, frankly, moral failure and incompetence uh, and the challenges of uh, growth limitation. So it's all backward. It's all backward management. Yep. Yep. Question number four is this. Am I future focused? Am I future focused? And this is massive. Okay. Um, Absolutely massive. There is a really powerful word in the Bible. Okay. And that word is the word become. And it's, it's what nobody's ever, nobody has ever unpack that word. Jesus looked at the disciples and let's admit it, man, they were a mess. Okay. Uh, I was in Rome uh, last year and I'm in St. Peter's Basilica and St. Thomas Church of the Divine and all these things named after all these great saints. And I went, whoever named these buildings obviously didn't read the Bible. I mean, the disciples were a mess. Peter's mouth's always open, foot's always in it. He's always whacking off some guy's ear. That's Peter. Okay. Thomas, and you walk in and go, this is going to be great. And Thomas goes, doubt it. Um, Jesus looked at those disciples who were spent most of their time arguing about who was greatest or asleep on the job. And he said, follow me. And here's the word. He said, and I will make you become fishes of men. When I read that, I went, that's it. When somebody sees anything, not in terms of what it's like right now, but in terms of what it could become, it's a whole different ball game. Okay. When a parent sees their teenager in terms of what they can become, all of a sudden that lifts their spirits. When I see my teenager in terms of what they're like right now, I get discouraged. Okay. When I see them in terms of what they can become, it lifts the ceiling on what they can become. And a great question. Here's the deal. If you want some questions, here it is. Just keep asking the question, what could this become? Our church finances, what could this become? Our youth ministry, children's ministry, whatever, what could this become? It is a massive life change. I think the reason Jesus was Jesus and we're not is this. He saw every human being and every setting in terms of what it could become instead of what it was like right now. That's huge. Matter of fact, show me a married couple looking at what their marriage is like right now. I'll show you a discouraged married couple. Show me a married couple that sees it in terms of what it can become. It's a whole different ballgame. And Andrew, there's a bunch of benefits to that, okay? And um, I want to give you five benefits to becoming a future-focused person. Because let's admit it, man, the average church, their only goal for the future is to bring back the past. Okay? And their favorite song is, as it was in the beginning, and now it never shall be. And so we have got, that's why the church has been the taillight instead of the headlight when it thought about being the light of the world. It always arrives last. Okay, The five benefits, number one is this. When I start looking forward, passion replaces apathy. Anybody with future dreams, they have passion. Okay? I mean, I'm around here with Convoy of Hope. The world's a mess. They have dreams. They have passion. And passion is why they raised over $2 million in one night. Okay? Second is this. Um, when you are future focused, you can actually create great comebacks. 
You can create great comebacks. Okay, Every single comeback in history began with future focus. Okay, It's not what you start. It's what you mean. For example, Jonah started running away from God, ended up influencing a whole city. Thomas started out racked by doubt, but ended up taking the gospel to India. Moses started doing nothing significant for God for the first two thirds of his life, ended up becoming this incredible hero of the Old Testament, okay? Paul started persecuting Christians, ended up writing the majority of the New Testament. John Mark started as a quitter, but ended up being tapped by the Spirit of God to paint a portrait of Jesus Christ that we read 2,000 years later. Peter started out as an arrogant loudmouth who threw Jesus under a bus, but ended up being a great Christian leader, okay? Um, and, and by the way, if you're a business leader, I had a talk with a CEO last week. We had, a, we had this exact talk. If you're a CEO, this is huge too, okay? because when you are future focused, it can create a great comeback. Back in um, 2002, Reuters was slumping and get this, Reuters lost almost $500 million in one year, prompting its CEO to describe the company as fighting for our survival. One year later, it recorded profits of almost $500 million, okay? How in the world did they manage that astonishing turnaround? Because that kind of turnaround can happen in a church, it can happen in a company, it can happen in anything, it can happen in a marriage, it can happen with the kids. How did they do that? You know, here's what they did. They stopped focusing on what was, and instead, in their words, they said this, we reimagined what the company could be, and then they took decisive action to make that fresh vision a reality. It all started with them basically going, let's reimagine what this could be. You can reimagine what your health could be. You can reimagine what your weight could be. You could reimagine what your marriage or your kid or your church or your ministry or your company could be. You can reimagine anything and then get to work and go after it, but it all starts with fresh vision, okay? The third benefit to fresh vision, our future focus is this, okay? Um, and it's basically a spiritual book. Here it is. Grace frees you. Vision fuels you. Grace frees you. Vision fuels you. And too many Christians have one but not the other. I know Christians, they have never been freed by grace, but they have vision. They're fueled by vision, which means they're fueled, but fueled, fueled, but they're never happy. They're never happy. A lot of the results just feed their ego. And I also know most Christians, they're freed by grace. They're just not fueled by vision, which means they're forgiven and ineffective. Okay. Somehow the combination of being freed and fueled is gold. And grace frees you, vision fuels you. I'll give you an example of that. When anybody comes up to us and says, Bayside exploded, and for 15 years, and even today, it just went, it went straight up. What was the secret? Okay. I'd go, you know, ultimately it's a God thing, but I say, let me tell you what I think one of the primary causes was. We had a discipline where we gathered 100 people every year. We did it our first year. We did our 10th year, our 15th year. We gathered 100 people. Okay, and what we did was we gathered ministry leaders. 
We gathered opinion leaders. Okay, we added financial leaders. We added um, we added people. We actually announced the church. Hey, we're going to do a future meeting. If you want to come, give the church a call. And we put a hundred people in a room. But we also said we're going to be in this room for two days. And if you can't come to the whole thing, don't come. Okay. And we put them in there, and we basically locked ourselves in that room. What we did was. We went through two days of exercises, okay? And one of the exercises around tables, they would come up with future dreams, okay? And we asked five questions in there. They answered all five questions. And each table then had about seven to 10 dreams. And they are foaming at the mouth for these future dreams. They all brought them up. We gave everybody dots. I mean, we all got it dialed. It was, I mean, literally at the end of that, at the end of that two days, our church had somewhere between three and five huge fresh vision goals for the future every year, which means we took the discipline to basically say every year we are going to put a hundred people in a room and we aren't walking out of that until we have fresh vision from God for the future. So our church was driven by fresh vision from God for the future every single time because grace frees you, vision fuels you, and that kind of thing. So the fourth benefit to future focus is this. Um, it sets you free to dream. Okay, When you're looking back, you're looking back and analyzing. When you look forward, anything's possible so you can start dreaming. And, and while I'm giving you a ton of content, sorry about all this, here we go. There are five kinds of people when it comes to dreaming. Okay, And matter of fact, the vast majority are number one. Here it is, people with no dream. Ask them what their dreams are. I don't know. They have no dream. It's a sad thing to live your entire life and never have a God-fueled, God-given dream. Number two is this. See, some people, they have a low dream. Okay, you got no dream and a low dream. And their dream is going, I want to make enough money to retire. What a waste of a life. Okay, uh, I want to make enough money to buy a second home. What a waste of a life. In other words, what are you going to do to change the world? So there are people who have no dream. There are people who have a low dream. Number three is this. There are people that have the wrong dream. Okay, there are people that have the wrong dream. I met a guy one time. Um, he had to be from the Evangelical Covenant denomination. And um, I spoke at a conference and this guy who'd evidently been in this denomination his entire life came up to me and sat down and he asked me questions about Bayside. And, and then he said, I want to know this. What are you doing to make your church more covenant? And I looked at him and said nothing. And he looked at me like I was shocked. And I said, hey, look, I love our denomination. I love what we do for missions and connection, and all that kind of stuff. However, and you could tell this guy's mad. He's like covenant was more important than Christian to this guy. So he looked at me and he's like, well, I don't think that's very good. And I said, I tell you what, you go through the Bible, okay, cover to cover. And if you can find the word evangelical covenant church in there together anywhere, I said, come find me. Okay. I said, here's what's going to happen. The Bible says God's no respecter of persons. You're going to get to heaven. Jesus is going to look at you and say, what did you do with your life? And you're going to say, I tried to make people more covenant. And he's going to look at you and say, what's a covenant? Or what's a Baptist or what's a Presbyterian or what's an assembly of God? And it's you're going, there are just there are some religious people out there. They have a dream. It's just the wrong dream. And they're very good beating up pastors with their wrong dream. Okay. Number four is this: some people have a vague dream. They just have a vague dream. You go, what's your dream? Well, I want to change the world. Well, if it doesn't get specific at some point, it's wrong. And then there are people with God's dream. And they just 
have a dream from God. And it's been really fun. I'm talking about this some because I'm here, but Convoy of Hope is just like that. You can tell they have a dream from God. Their dream is to go change the world. They know exactly how they are doing that in three areas, and they are breaking every record and every personal goal they set. They are blowing by these things, and that information is going to get released in the next 24 hours, okay? When you're future focus, it sets you free to dream. And then the last one is this. Um, it is when you're future focused, that creates forward momentum. That is actually what creates forward momentum. I did this one time in church. I was preaching at our Granite Bay campus where Kurt and Andrew now run the whole campus and do all the preaching there. And I was preaching there and um, I, we had a center aisle coming right up the middle. And so I brought two bicycles in and I got two $100 gift certificates to the Cheesecake Factory. Okay. And right in the middle of the sermon, I was talking about Philippians chapter three, where the apostle Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. One thing I do. Okay. And Paul's basically, I let go of the past. Grace will free you and vision will fuel you. And what happened is, I could tell people weren't getting it. So I had these two bicycles, pulled it out, and I said, hey, I need two volunteers, and we're going to have a bike race right in the middle of this message, right at the center aisle. And I put a uh, starting line tape, a finish line tape, and I said, the winner gets a $100 gift. I mean, everybody's hands going up. So I always pick the two studliest looking, most athletic looking people in each service. I put them on a bike each, and I said, on your mark, get set. And then I went, oh, stop. I forgot the last rule is this. The minute you start riding that bike, you can't put your feet on the ground again, or you can't touch anything else. So if you fall over, you lose. But I said, the last person to cross the finish line wins. In other words, you're going to have to go forward as slowly as you can. I mean, what do you guys think happened? Nobody finished. I, we, we saved a ton of money. I didn't have to give gift certificates away. I think I gave one or two because people were getting on their bikes and this easy thing turned into a really hard thing. They were falling over. Their feet were touching the ground, all of this kind of stuff. And, um, and people were crashing into the seats and what they, cause here's what, and the minute they were done, they got off the bikes. I mean, the, these bikes have fallen in the aisles. They have fallen on people. By the way, it explains why I don't get to preach at Granite Bay anymore. They won't have me back. The, um, what they learned that day though, is this a bicycle that you're sitting on that is not going forward is not stable. Things only stabilize when they are moving forward. And frankly, the faster they are moving forward, the more they stabilize, okay? And so fundamentally, cover to cover in the Bible, okay? The, all you do is read it. The Apostle Paul goes, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to Eliza, okay. Um, I know this is like 15 points in one short webinar. Um, the uh, and by the way, we are through five points of 10. I'll give you the other five next week, but we have a couple minutes here. Is there anything you guys want to ask, reflect on? Because I mean, this is a ton of content, but let me tell you what if people don't have enough support, they're in trouble, okay. If their expectations aren't raised, okay, if they're not developing those four traits they will be limited for the rest of their life. If their future focus isn't intact, they will be limited and discouraged for the rest of their life. So as we wrap this up, anything you guys want to reflect on? Because, I mean, we're all dealing with all this stuff ourselves right now. 
I think, Ray, um, and throw it open to the other guys, the future focus thing is so, so important. How do we speak to leaders at the moment who are future focused and the only thing they're thinking about is reopening and actually about snapping back to a world that used to be? How can leaders think really smart about being future focused with new strategies? Some of the stuff, Ray, that you talked about with Caring Newhoff, uh, it's a new digital age. We won't leave this stuff behind. You know, uh, that's a whole seminar in it. Mm -hmm. But that that was one thing that was going through my mind. Well, I just say, I don't think there's one right answer here, Andrew. And uh, what my major recommendation for leaders is the way to get out of focusing on the problems to focusing on the solutions is to have some solutions to consider. The problems are easy to consider. And the only way to get some (laughs) solutions to consider is to be in a learning mode. You know, uh, leaders are learners. Learning organizations are the ones going to come out of this the best. So you kind of got to resist that thing to say, uh, be in denial or actually to say it can't be done. And then don't jump quickly to solution. That's the problem. Do some study in there. You know, when I'm preparing a sermon, if I got writer's block, what I know about writer's block in that sermon is I haven't studied the passage enough yet to really be creative about what I want to say and how I want to say it. So I go back to the study. Now's the time for study. You yeah. can't be future focused on solutions unless you have some to consider. Yeah. Well, one of the things I'll jump on that. Way. Yeah, CJ, jump on that. And then I got a question. I was just going to jump on that real quick. And I've got one for Ray, too. You know, I think the future is very fluid for us right now. And so leaders now more than ever, in my humble opinion, have to be fluent in flux. Things are in flux and, and, and trying to be much more fluid about that, trying not to be stubborn in vision or be stubborn in your vision. Like Ray's talking about, have that vision, but don't be stubborn in the methodology. That's where I think. And so Ray, I would, I would kind of put that back to you. So many pastors have asked, well, if this is all we know and the future looks so different, how do we navigate some of that? In, in which part, Sage? Well, the future looks so different, you know, and we I think there's a lot of leaders trying to figure out how they lead their teams, you know, in that how they look at the future, knowing that it looks so different than anything that they maybe have known. Um, I would say this. <laughs> the first, A short answer would be calm down mm-hmm. and fire up at the same time. Wow. People just take a freaking breath. Okay. Calm down. Okay. The ability to overreact right now, my own ability to overreact is off the charts. Okay. Now, fortunately, I'm an old guy. So, you know, I react slower so I can catch it and process. But, the, <laughs> but, but, the, but calm down. But the other thing is this fire up. Okay. Like Carol and I were in our room the other day and this, they were delivering the program at Conway on the TV, but there's an 80 year old pastor they brought in to wrap this thing up. And I know this guy and I wanted to go hear this guy and Tommy Barnett. And I walked in and I, and the reason I literally said, Carol, let's go in the room. Okay. We put masks on. We went in the back of this room, got two seats and there are not, there are not very many people in this room because maximum hundred. Okay. And, um, and I sat there and I took notes on this incredible 80 year old uh, Tommy, if you're listening to this man, you rock Okay. And, and he literally got up and absolutely tore it up. Matter of fact, one of the things he said, he got up and he said, I just want to give you a fundamental life principle. And here it is. He goes, if you want something, you got to give it whatever you want, 
give. Okay, matter of fact, all you pastors preach this this week before the offer. He goes, if you want something, you have to give it. It's a fundamental principle. I had never heard anybody say that before, yeah, ever. That, uh, first time ever. And he, he literally unleashed this thing. And then he said, for example, he goes, it's just the way God wired life up. He goes, if you want love, you have to give love. Mm-hmm. If you want joy, go out and give joy to somebody else. You'll get joy. Okay? And if you want God's blessing financially, you've got to give. He goes, God has wired life up. You only get something after you've given it. Okay? And I went, I looked, this guy lit me up. Okay? And then he went on and said some other unbelievable stuff. And I mean, I'm taking, I'm in the back, I'm taking notes. I'm going, this is unbelievable. This eight-year-old guy just tore it up. And so what I would say is this, man, calm down but fire up, which means whatever it takes for you to get inspired, get inspired. Okay. Um, right now, a long range plan is about 30 minutes. Okay. Or maybe three weeks. Okay. We don't even know what the governor, at least in California, a lot of you around the world, we don't know what the governor's going to do. You don't know what your governor's going to do. We don't know what the president's going to do. And we don't know what's going to happen in your country. Okay. And long range planning right now seems like it's about three weeks. Okay. And so I would say getting inspired is more important than long range planning. But if somebody's going to start, question one is always here it is. Okay. What's your vision? What's your vision? Okay. Even in the next three weeks, what's your vision? Or, you know, like finances are down. What's your vision? Okay. And then, and then come out with that plan. So we got time for one more question. Cause I did have one, Ray. I wanted to hear you on fire away. We'll wrap up with this. Uh, okay. So you're, you're committed to be future focused. You're committed to believe that the impossible can happen. You're going to be a learner, but you're surrounded by a team that's discouraged. And so you come in and say, guys, we're going to go get on the solution. We're going to see this as an opportunity. And you get the proverbial Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, wah. What do you do to get your team future, future focused and faith oriented? You want the real answer? Yes, of course. I think there's two answers. And then this is probably a whole nother webinar. Um, Cause it's really, how do you motivate? And I'd say number one is this people support what they create. And so if I can drop a massive problem in front of them and get them brainstorming solutions, then that might fire them back up. Okay. If I'm coming in, dropping the solution and then giving them assignments, uh, all they view it as more work. So number one is pretty much I'm trying to do that. But number two, to be really honest with you is this tired lieutenants don't take fresh territory. And sometimes there are people where they're going, They are kind of done here. They don't arrive with energy anymore. I don't want to pay people to not have energy. I can get people without energy for free. Okay. And, and so sometimes it's a really good time to offload some people that don't arrive with energy and passion. Okay. Um, Like we checked into a hotel down here in Monterey, everybody on here, they are fired up. I mean, they just reopened their world war here. They're fired up. I went, man, I wish every one of our staff people was like this. Okay. I mean, everybody's like, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Okay. But sometimes, so it's a combination of tired lieutenants don't don't take fresh territory and, and um, letting them dream. But I mean, there are just some people that don't, and here's what I discovered. Um, I've done some interim pastor stuff in different churches. And when I walk in and I start meeting the staff, I'm here's what I'm, I'm going. 
are they discouragement or are they disgruntled? And discouragement can be healed fast. Okay, it's a great thing about it. It can you read Hope Quotient, do this stuff, bam, it can be healed fast. One guy, I mean, I heard a guy for 30, oh, actually, he spoke for 15 minutes. Wham, I was good. <clears throat> discouragement can get healed fast. However, people that are disgruntled or disillusioned or worse, cynical, that is harder to heal because cynicism feels good because cynicism is self-righteousness in disguise. Okay. And, and so it really depends on the condition a really smart analysis of what's really gotten these people so they're not excited. If it's discouragement, that can be If it's cynicism and they're disgruntled, those people spread, they're toxic. Sometimes that stuff's got to be removed from a, a person or an organization. Incredible. Incredible. I, I've taken some of these notes and I'll send them all to Curtin. Really good stuff. <laughs> By the way, you know what the bummer is? We will cover five of these next week. Okay. And the, um, but the, the next two are huge. Uh, play to your strengths. Okay. And I'm going to give you five areas your strengths are in, which means you're probably strong in two of the five. You got to get that dialed. Okay. And the other one is this life-giving relationships. And all of us need five different relationships to operate on all of our cylinders, okay? And so we'll pick it up next week. Um, I just wanna say this, we are really honored you have joined us for this stuff. These are crazy days at Bayside, just like they are everywhere else. And, um, but we actually believe this all of our hearts, man. If you will build the kind of things in your life that give you a foundation of hope, you will be the leader leading at the end of this crisis where a lot of them are. So appreciate you taking the time and energy to become a better leader. It's just massive. When you invest in your own growth, great things follow. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. And for more about Ray Johnston or the Global Thrive Conferences, or if you have any questions or comments, go to thriveconference.org. And we'll see you next time for the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. Podcast.